0: Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Rop, and I'm your host.
1: Yeah, we're, we're getting around the archons despite their... You see, this is, this is one of the things that I talk about often is, uh, yes, there are evil and um, crazy powers that interfere with us, but they're not all that powerful in this dimension, which is why uh, Satan doesn't land on the White House lawn more than the Virgin Mary. You know, it's kind of... Uh, people tend to think in dualism that... Both sides are equally powerful, whereas I would say both sides are equally weak in this dimension. So that's a whole discussion (laughs) unto itself.
0: We're interviewing Scott Smith today, and Scott is a self-proclaimed Gnostic Christian, I believe that's correct, and an author of a book, uh, at least one book, this book that I'm talking about today is called God Reconsidered, Searching for Truth in the Battle Between Atheism and Religion by motivational press. So, first off, welcome, Scott. Welcome to Gnostic Insights.
1: I'm glad to uh, be in league with others who realize that conventional wisdom, whether religious or secular, is wrong on many issues.
0: You, you, by the way, another book that I'm very interested in of yours is called The Soul of Your Pet, Evidence for the Survival of Animals After Death. And I absolutely agree with that because... I happen to think that all second-order powers, everything that's alive on the Earth, is going to survive uh, physical death on this plane and return to the fullness. Uh, But it's not my turn to talk. It's your turn to talk. So tell me this. Well, I I will say on that, it is having an afterlife of its own on
1: Amazon because it went out of print about six years ago. It was published in 1998. And I'm happy to see that it's, thriving online and uh, mm. mine was the first book to provide pretty powerful evidence that at the very least the animals who are companions in this life including birds and horses and of course dogs and cats and stuff that uh, there there's some really compelling evidence that they do survive death and I go into about a dozen different ways to approach that so it doesn't just sound like somebody was drunk or hallucinating <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. As we so welcome do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, the way I got these anecdotes is I wrote two, of all things, uh, veterinary magazines and said, uh, if any of you readers have stories about this, uh, send them to me if you think they're really credible. And uh, the surprising thing was that In many cases, these people had never had any kind of paranormal experience. They weren't even religious. They didn't think necessarily that humans had an afterlife. They weren't related to the animal. It would be like, wow, uh, glad to see your uh, dog was uh, healed by the veterinarian. I saw him playing very happily in the backyard, and then they find out, the dog had died a week earlier, you know, that kind oh, yeah, of thing. So right. <laughs> it, it's, it's a popular topic.
0: Absolutely, because people love their animals. Love is love. So tell me, do you go to, you attend a Christian uh, Gnostic church, do you?
1: Yes. Um, the famous Gnostic author, Stefan Heller, uh, who's written quite a number of books, and he's here in Los Angeles, and, on Beechwood, there's this place called Bassant Lodge that's owned by the Theosophical Society, and that's where two organizations that he heads meet. One is called Ecclesia Gnostica, and he's the head bishop, and the other is the Gnostic Society. And you can find those online, and uh, there are masses, I think, every single day there. And um, L.A. being kind of a, a hub of the counterculture from early times. Uh, there's a surprising number of people, even during COVID, uh, who went there for the Masses. They're, they're Gnostic Masses, kind of like a, a more enlightened version of the Catholic Mass. And when I got involved in, with this church in 2005, uh, I was impressed with a book that he gave me about, uh, from, from one of the founders of the Theosophical Society, and this guy was a mystic, Charles Ledbetter, um, kind of a sidekick of Madame Blavatsky, the founder, and she, uh, or he, he wrote about seeing during the Mass, wherever it was any kind of Mass, that ritual tended to raise the spiritual power, uh, inside, uh, that, that, uh, ceremony. So that was a confirmation of something I had realized in studying the great mystery religions is the importance of ritual. So um, <laughs> he's a big he's a big advocate of, of the Eucharist and, and other rituals, which has been the case throughout Gnostic history. It isn't just one of these anarchic movements where, you know, you're your own god and your own mystic and you don't really have anything to do with others.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, In my Gnostic Insights podcast, I often speak against rituals, so, you know, it's interesting that it's uh, so important, and yet I, I talk... My point is that you don't need to perform rituals in order to find God. Would you agree yeah, with that? We, we can, yeah, we can say that uh, Gnostics don't agree on a lot. We're an anarchic bunch, you yeah. know,
1: and we're kind of we're kind of united around the idea that we, we know for sure that the real heresy is mainstream Christianity. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. So to, let's talk about that. You've got some pretty harsh things to say about what you call the good God or the creator deity of, of the Old Testament and the Torah, the Quran and so forth. It, t- talk to us about the good God versus um, some other God. So um, one of the advantages that I to talking about
1: Gnosticism from what I would call a somewhat objective standpoint, as well as being a member of this movement, is um, I write a lot about history um, under the guise of leadership articles. Uh, I've had hundreds and hundreds of articles on historical leaders, and they appeared in Investor's Business Daily, of all things. And uh, so I've had a chance to really dig in deep. I've been to South Africa, I know uh, quite a bit, uh, along the line of uh, Jared Diamond's books on the subject, and uh, Yuval Harari's Sapiens, and so forth and so on. And I think part of the problem why all mainstream religions fall into this trap of assuming that there must be a good God uh is ignorance of human history. I mean, just to give you a couple of examples of why the the creator God, if there was one, uh, would not be benevolent. It takes a great deal of propaganda to overcome these things, but to give you a few examples, most people don't realize that about 25% of the 100 billion um, people who ever lived died in childhood and that includes a lot who died in infancy now if the creator god wanted us to learn lessons here you know all the positive things people try to eat out of suffering you know you learn to overcome adversity etc cetera, etc cetera, what would be the point of spiritual development if you only are alive for a few years, if that. Mm -hmm. Secondly, why would this god want to conceal from humans the existence of germs until Louis Pasteur in the 1860s? Or, if there was some great reason for doing that, why did he also disguise the ways that uh, you could achieve at least some kind of anesthesia to treat it? Uh, and this isn't simply an ancient problem. This innocent people suffering. Uh, it's throughout human history. In the 20th century, even though we finally got a smallpox vaccine in the 1960s, there were about 500 million people who died from smallpox. So, and and I could rattle off uh, quite a number of other things, including about 90 percent of the residents of the Western Hemisphere dying after uh, the Spanish came over here and brought their diseases. Mm -hmm. And we've also had 99% of all species go extinct. The problem with this world that is so obvious that nobody sees it is that it's a world of chaos. You know, we've had five major mass extinctions so I one of the things I brought to the table of the discussion about religion is there's a book called Lucky Planet by David Waltham and he makes a Chapters where I say, if you think that the Creator God was good, um, how do you account for all
0: this? And that's another three chapters before I start getting into the individual religions. Hmm. Well, and then what about the God above all gods? Are you a believer that that we come from the Father ultimately? Consciousness is the ground state of reality.
1: Yeah. Yes, and I, I would I would say that that we don't fully understand who the god above god is but you can have mystical experiences and maintain that direct contact what i call my version is shamanistic gnosticism because the aeons are in my view entities that through which you can make contact and receive wisdom they're like intermediaries um and give you some help uh, I certainly have had many 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 miracles by praying to the God above God and Jesus Christ the Liberator and the aonic or angelic entities as well as all my ancestors who would and friends who have passed on who wish me well And I'm a big believer in maintaining that contact going into meditation you can contact the god above god and and these other intermediate entities through prayer through ritual through meditation and in one of the things that i would say and Stefan heller agrees with me on this is that if you look at the mass gnostic movements The Valentinians, the Cathars, the Marcionites, who often get neglected, they were the, by far, the largest Christian Gnostic movement. I mean, they went into the Middle East and all over, and Southern Europe and so forth. The way Gnosticism spread was not necessarily by having individuals have a mystical experience. We tend to have this assumption because we think of mysticism, which is a very general term, uh, kind of being the key to the truth. But uh, Heller has said, you know, you can come to the truth, you be enlightened as to the truth of Gnosticism without a dramatic mystical experience. I've had those, but I think the key thing that bound together the, the early Gnostic movements wasn't individual enlightenment. The reality is that we don't have diaries from ordinary members of the Gnostic movements because nobody was literate, basically, mm-hmm. until a couple of centuries ago. So when we we read certain things like uh, the Gospel of Thomas or something and all these wonderful Gnostic books, these were written by 1% of the literate population. The way Gnosticism spread was through preaching. The Manichaeans, the
2: Cathars, the Marcionites, and the Valentinians talked to people, you know, boom books couldn't even be mass-published until the 15th century, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, yes you could read a book or read
1: a scripture. I mean obviously the Jews did that in temple and stuff like that, but it was the most people would come to enlightenment by listening to the truth and realizing it was true, and of course they could pray to the God above God or to Jesus or to saints or whatever they wanted. So the key insight that binds Gnostics together is recognizing that the God of this world, the so-called Creator God, is not the High God, is not, is not a good God. And I, I think that if you ha- or if you're lucky and you cultivate your mystical side and you have a direct connection with the other world, that is definitely a plus. But it's not a requirement. You can study these things and Mm -hmm. come to the awareness that it's mainstream Christianity that is the heresy, not Gnosticism.
0: And what exactly is it about mainstream Christianity that is the heresy? Uh, Let's start with the fact that most of
1: us who grew up in so-called Christian households like I did, when we read the four Gospels, they seem to be in harmony You know, uh, I remember my family every Christmas doing the story of Christ's birth and everything, and somehow, you know, in this amalgamated tradition, the wise men and the shepherds are there on the same night, and I didn't really, and I had read the New Testament and the Old Testament many times, and I didn't fully understand the contradictions between the four Gospels until I read Bart Ehrman's Jesus Interrupted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a great scholar of evangelical Christianity, and when he eventually woke up, he wrote these books showing just how fundamentally contradictory these stories are. They don't just have minor details that are wrong with them, but... You look at the last week of Christ's life mm-hmm. in the four gospels, and they're all contradictory. I mean, radically so. And so, um when you, I, I grew up in the Mormon faith, which is kind of a, a neo-gnostic religion that Harold Bloom
2: wrote about in the American religion. Mm-hmm. And once I left the, that church, uh,
1: I went back to talk at the kind of progressive, conference that is held annually and there's a magazine called sunstone and, and bishop heller has been up there and other gnostic speakers and um you know you when what the mormons said from the beginning and this made me open to this concept is mainstream Christianity was invented by Constantine and his council mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of doctrines that are fundamental to it like the Trinity and many of the notions about atonement and and other things the idea that you just have faith that's all you need it's not about you know how good you are or what you do how you live or anything like that these were all things that were invented in the fourth century when Constantine who was really a pagan um, Tried to pull together the, the various Christian factions, and so the the point is that mainstream. If you if you try to find the Trinity uh, in the New Testament, it's not there. <laughs> uh, so, but people have been so brainwashed, they see it there, and and some of these other issues. So, um, you know, I, I have on my Facebook page. I used to have a website for God's Reconsidered for about seven years, but I switched over to Facebook, and the God Reconsidered author page has um, some sample chapters, including one on mainstream Christianity versus the Bible. It has my interviews on Aon Mike McKel Connors' podcast. I have a whole bunch of blogs on there, so if they just go up on Facebook and look up God Reconsidered, you can find kind of the analysis of what's wrong with not only mainstream Christianity, but the chapters in the book cover Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. I've, been, I've spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East, uh, so I'm intimately familiar. In fact, when it comes to Hinduism, I'm very close to the Hare Krishnas. I've been to India, Paul McCartney and I are the only ones that are quoted on the back of the Hare Krishna book, (laughs) so I'm quite familiar with Eastern religion, and and, and, uh, in the book I explain why I think all these other religions as alternatives don't really work well.
0: Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, my my reading list, my my backlog of reading, how I grew up through the various uh, spiritual traditions, very similar to yours. I was actually uh, quite into Paramahansa Yogananda. I've read read all of the those yoga and Christ in the Bhagavad Gita and all his books. So, that's interesting stuff. Now. D- do you think, I keep saying that when Jesus said, I and my Father are one, if you know me, you know my Father, that he is talking about the God above, not about the Creator God. Do you agree with that?
1: Yes, and, and I think we're. this is something I brought from Mormonism. When you look at this carefully, he makes a very clear distinction between him and the ultimate God. Uh, when he talks about God and I are one, he also says to the apostles, you and I are one. You know, you should, you should be essentially one in spirit. And there's no discussion uh, that there's a trinity. The, the New Testament, this is something, again, imposed on an interpretation, on a, a late development, and, uh, and really a heresy. There, there is a God above God. But again whoever is responsible for the creation is at best uh neutral and callous towards human beings yeah. uh, you know i'm kind of reminded of that 2001 space odyssey where the aliens come down and the primitive humans don't know what the heck this black uh stone thing is that appears to them as kind of like the The aliens are monitoring Mm -hmm. humans, and then at the end of the show, kind of exalted eternal human baby kind of appears above the earth and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, the the somebody we could say uh, the demiurges, sidekicks, the the archons have certainly messed with human beings, and there are good angels or aeons, and there are evil ones. And, and I think this is kind of the ultimate uh, explanation of the so-called alien abduction and UFO phenomena. These are attempts, weak attempts, to manipulate human beings because there are entities who appear in every culture. As I said, I know the Hindus very well, and Krishna has appeared to people. So they don't appear often, I think in large part, because they have a, a difficult problem appearing in this dimension. But you can find out the truth through prayer and study and I think the truth fundamentally goes back to the Gnostics that this is not our home. That there is a God above God and for Christians or whatever flavor of Gnosticism one wants to adopt, there there are higher entities or intermediate entities who can help your spiritual progress.
0: Now when you say bad eons, you're you're actually referring to archons, I mean, archons. right?
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, yeah, but bad bad entities which we would call archons. Right. And then there are the good guys, the aeons or angels right? Or whatever one
0: wants to call. Right. Yeah. Now so it is possible for a person to be a Christian Gnostic. Obviously you're a Christian Gnostic, I'm a Christian Gnostic. We do believe parts of the New Testament, correct? Or for the most part the New Testament, as long as you read it with Gnostic sensibility as opposed to yeah, the way well, mainstream Christianity presents it.
1: Yeah, I think we... The first thing we have to recognize is, and Ehrman has another book on this, but uh, it is that these were not eyewitness reports in the four Gospels. The great Gnostic leader Marcion realized that the one thing that was somewhat reliable was, was Paul's and Luke's stories. Uh, and... Uh, you know, there, uh, Elaine Pagels, who wrote the Gnostic Gospels, wrote a whole book about the Gnostic Paul, and so the notion that all four of the Gospels, including John, which is radically different from the other three, that these were like eyewitness reports, is dispelled by the fact that they contradict each other very dramatically. Like I say, if you look at what the four Gospels say about the last week of Christ and what happened after he died. None of them agree with each other, you know. So mm-hmm. um, Marcion created the first New Testament, which was basically selected passages from Luke and some of Paul's writings. And we, we were, as Gnostics, as a movement, we were responsible for the, the New Testament, and the current version was created in reaction to that. Mm-hmm. So there, there is inspiration and guidance to be found in the New Testament, and you can certainly see the work of this Jehovah entity in the current version of the Old Testament, and there's a very interesting book by Picknett and Prince called When God Had a Wife, where they they show a pretty compelling case that around 600 B.C., these kind of ultra-Orthodox leaders in Israel's movement, or what? was then really Judah and Benjamin, that they fabricated Deuteronomy and pretended that this was a found text that buried in the the temple, in order to make their case for Jehovah as not The tribal god of israel but the the god of the universe and and i and so you know when it comes to the old testament it's mostly propaganda for jehovah
0: how yeah exactly how about um the prophets how about like david what about the psalms what do you think of these
1: well you know the old testament overall is so full of uh disastrous contradictions to the message of jesus you have to say, you know something, there's a lot of truth in paganism and Islam and other religions, and, and I'm very critical of Buddhism, but, you know, by and large, Buddhist leaders like the Dalai Lama, uh, you know, are admirable, and you can find, uh, half my relatives are secular Jews, you, you can find positive things about any religion and Mm. uh and live a uh, jimmy carter is a great example i mean this is a guy who taught sunday school and regardless of the politics he has admirers of the fact that uh you know he's now uh, probably about to die apparently he's in a hospice but he spent his entire life uh, not sincerely preaching christianity that includes the old testament and living a christ-like life helping others so Many, many Jews, of course, are leaders of humanitarian groups, and there are radical differences between the Herodim, uh, the fundamentalist, uh, who you know wear long black robes and and have twenty kids, and so forth. That's the kind of the ultra orthodox side, and and liberal secular Jews today. So you can find inspiration in the Old Testament, but uh, it's to me, it's are trying to find a needle in a haystack so beyond moses and what's in deuteronomy and everything like that even without those um you know we all have a conscience so many of us can find reasons to live an ethical life and help others and at the same time uh even though this is not our home no advocates of gnosticism either said hey there are no rules don't worry about it Nor did they say, hey, let's get to the next world and commit mass suicide. You know, (laughs) we have a pragmatic approach, which is most people know what's basically right and wrong. Uh, Mass killing is wrong. Helping other
0: people who are starving is a good thing. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all the time we have for this week with this interview with Scott Smith. And we'll pick it up again here next week, and there'll be about another half hour next week. I hope you're enjoying this discussion with a Gnostic Christian who seems to know a lot about Gnosticism and a lot about history and whatnot. Meanwhile, I don't know if you know, but I sing. I'm a singer, and I kept having this little snippet of a hymn going through my mind when Scott was talking, And so I'm going to share with you a couple of stanzas from one of my favorite hymns. And that is a way that I keep in contact with the fullness and with the Father. I sing hymns quite a lot to myself, and I find the lyrics to be very uplifting. In fact, a lot of times the hymns speak quite a bit of truth. So God bless the songwriters. Lord, oh Lord. I have no friend but you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what would I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. See you next week. Onward and upward.